0: Hello and welcome to Wavescan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Our opening music in Wavescan today is an unusual rendering of the national anthem of Brazil. Together with the accompanying orchestra, you can hear the purple crowned plover crest hummingbird singing or twittering the national anthem of Brazil. Mm-hmm. So there it is, the National Anthem of Brazil, performed by the Plovercrest Hummingbird. This program was researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS number 626 for release on Sunday, February 21st, 2021. Today on Wayscan, the radio scene in Brazil, Brazilian backgrounds. The final part of our interview with Adrian Sainsbury of Radio New Zealand Pacific and the Bangladesh DX Report. So let's start out in Brazil. The huge South American country, Brazil, is a nation of many superlatives. It is the world's fourth largest country with 3.2 million square miles and a huge population of 212 million people. And as Ray Robinson tells us, Its people speak 228 different languages, 217 of which are native, tribal languages.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Today's piece is really a background primer on Brazil, or as my American colleagues would say, a primer on Brazil. I still can't get used to the way they say that. Anyway, some authorities claim that the Amazon River is the world's longest river, stretching more than 4,000 miles inland from the Atlantic coast. Large ocean steamers comply the Amazon River for a 1,000 miles inland, and smaller ships comply another 1,000 miles further. This huge river system disgorges fresh water at the rate of 18 million tonnes every minute, sending it out for a distance of 250 miles into the Atlantic Ocean. The dramatic Iguazu waterfalls lie at the border between Brazil and Argentina, The water at Iguazu plunges from a height of more than 200 feet, higher than the famous Niagara Falls. These South American falls stretch across the landscape for more than a mile. In season, the water tumbling over the edge of the cascading cliffs at Iguazu is greater in volume than that of all of the other major waterfalls throughout the world combined, and the thunderous, tumultuous roar from Iguazu can be heard for miles. There are more than 2,500 airports in Brazil, and the major airport at Sao Paulo processes 20 million passengers each year. And then too, a total of 6 million tourists from a multitude of foreign countries flow into Brazil each year. Spectator Sports rank high in Brazil, with huge attendances, for example at football, volleyball and basketball games, and also at car racing. In addition to so many superlatives, Brazil is also a manufacturing giant, though each factory is generally smaller than a similar counterpart would be in the United States. Brazil manufactures 2 million motor vehicles each year, as well as airplanes, medications, chemicals, paints, clothing, footwear, processed foodstuffs and just about everything else, you name it. The most populous cities in Brazil are Sao Paulo with 22 million and Rio de Janeiro with 13 million, both of which are Atlantic coastal cities. The national capital is the beautifully designed and carefully constructed inland city of Brasilia, with its nearly 5 million residents. The very name Brazil is taken from the Brazilwood tree, which provides a dark red dye for the textile industry. Around the time of the arrival of the first Europeans from Portugal 500 years ago, it's estimated that the total population of Brazil was already 11 million, made up of some 2,000 local Indian tribes. And yes, they do call the tribal people of Brazil Indians. To differentiate, in Portuguese, the people of the Asian country India are called Indianos, although that same word in Spanish is used to mean Native Americans. It's very confusing. Current understanding of patterns of human migration is that most of the original inhabitants of all of the Americas, including South America and Brazil itself, migrated from Siberia across the Bering Straits into Alaska. As they multiplied over the years, their descendants fanned out into all of the lands of the Americas. A study of their languages, though, indicates that the tribal populations in the Americas are not descendant from just one original tribal migration. It's estimated that in Brazil alone there are still 67 uncontacted tribes in the interior jungle areas. As the Portuguese settlers increased in number, there was continuing and escalating friction between the original inhabitants and the new European colonial settlements, sometimes breaking out into actual warfare. Brazil, along with so many other European colonies in the Americas, Africa, Asia and the Pacific, does not have a good humanitarian record regarding their dealings with the original inhabitants in their territories. In addition to the majority Portuguese populations in Brazil, there are also several minor settlements established by migrating foreigners, some of whom still speak their original homeland language. Among these foreign settlements, it's estimated there are communal settlers from 60 different countries in Europe, Africa, and Asia. Brazil declared independence from the Kingdom of Portugal on the 7th of September 1822. At the beginning of World War I in Europe in 1914, Brazil initially declared neutrality. However, due to the several occasions in which German submarines sank Brazilian ships in the Atlantic, Brazil declared war against the Central Powers of Europe on October twenty-sixth, 1917. Again, at the beginning of World War II, Brazil declared neutrality, but, due to the many occasions once more when German and Italian submarines sank Brazilian shipping in the Atlantic, again Brazil declared war against the Axis Powers of Europe on August twenty-second, 1942. Radio broadcasting in Brazil began almost a 100 years ago, on the 7th of September 1922, with a speech by the then-president Pessoa, and it was formalised on the 20th of April 1923 with the creation of the Radio Society of Rio de Janeiro. However, before that, there was an era of wireless experimentation, and there was also the installation of the early communication wireless transmitters. And that's what we'll explore the next time we visit Brazil here in WaveScan. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. And indeed, uh, Brazil is a wonderful place to visit. Uh, I've had the chance to go to uh, both Iguazu Falls, which is a fascinating uh, place on the border between Brazil, Argentina and Paraguay. And I've also been to Manaus, up in the um, Amazon section of uh, Brazil. I had a chance to take a a short cruise on the Amazon River. And of course, shortwave radio is very important in the Amazon, as we'll be hearing in future editions of uh, Wavescan, talking about Brazil. Well, recently on the program, we have brought you two segments of an interview with Adrian Sainsbury, Frequency Manager of Radio New Zealand Pacific. He was interviewed by Aaron Castillo of the program Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com at Pierce College in Los Angeles. Today we have the final part of that interview. To begin with, Adrian mentioned that as frequency manager, the first few days of a new semi-annual frequency season can often be a bit surprising.
2: There may be some unfore- unforeseen accidents. <laughs> and something like, whoa, we've got to do something about that. We've got, we're too close to, We might find, we've got China Radio International right next door to us.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, they come in.
2: And they tend to, they use hugely powerful transmitters. Much, much more higher power than us. And so, we, we don't bother to try to compete with them. We move away straight away if we can.
3: <laughs> yes, and speaking of your competition and next door neighbours, uh, a couple of years ago, unfortunately, your big brother, Radio yeah. Australia, had yeah. shut down. Um, how did this affect Orange uh, Pacific, and how has that changed the dynamics in the Pacific region?
2: I think the major thing before a listener living on one of the Pacific islands, who's, and many of them, by the way, have limited Internet access, so they do rely, rely on shortwave quite a bit, Uh, Would suddenly have less choice, obviously, because we're now the only English-speaking shortwave transmitter in the region. At night, on some of the islands, if you've got a, um, you can actually hear some of the Australian AM stations coming in, as you can our New Zealand ones. But during the day, the only way to get a signal into any of the Pacific Islands, really, by radio, is by shortwave. And so I feel sorry for them in that regard. They've lost a the choice because Radio Australia used to broadcast a lot of sport, which was extremely popular. Uh, and, um, we don't, we don't have, have the finance for that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a very expensive way of broadcasting because of the contracts to get permission to broadcast It's pretty high. Yeah. Well, sports are all so professional these days. They, they sell it. It's all big money. TV companies can afford it, but we can't. <laughs>
3: And then, what do you think is the future of your station? Um, Are you worried that you will be, unfortunately, defunded like Radio
2: Australia was, or do you feel optimistic
3: for the future?
2: The outlook is not that good, I suppose, in the sense that if you're a dedicated shortwave broadcaster, the trend over the last 20 years has been to distribute the signal by by, uh, satellite, and then have FM repeaters or something on the ground which pick up the satellite signal from wherever. Um and the trend has been to do it that way rather than using short wave. New Zealand has trended that way. We're we're putting we have got satellite delivery to um now available, which we didn't have ten years ago. Um and I think the islands are improving on the technological side. In other words, fiber optic cables are now being reaching some of the, the islands. So they're getting good high-speed internet, which gives them good telephone communication and other, other all the benefits of communication. So I can see a slow decline in the need for us to broadcast in shortwave. Having said that, there's another 20 years left in the transmitter. In theory, before it, and they're, they're well maintained. So, as far as they're concerned at the moment, the planning is that there's no. Well, the planning is not to close them. Uh, <laughs> Good. See, they, because um, they're there and they're working and they're fine. I can't crystal ball gaze any more than that, really. I think, long term, the internet obviously is all powerful. But having said that. It can fall over. <laughs> and it's interesting if you were to talk to somebody in the military, you'll find that the military shortwave is in high demand. And for the very simple reason, you're not required, they are the gatekeeper. If you've got a transmitter and you've got a receiver and you've got a shortwave connection, you are the gatekeeper. There's nobody else gatekeeping for you. And so, and you can have security too, security of connection. And that's the big disadvantage of the Internet. It can be turned off, and that's what happens sometimes.
3: Yes, it can be turned off and it can be censored. Yes, you're so right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank you so much, Adrian, for your time here. and I hope you have a good day in Rangatiki.
2: No, you had it spot on. Yeah, it was quite absolutely Rangatiki.
3: More info can be found on kbcradio.com. And this has been Electronic Echoes, an exploration into the hidden world of shortwave radio with Aaron Castillo.
0: That was the final portion of a conversation with Adrian Sainsbury, Frequency Manager of Radio New Zealand Pacific. He was talking with Aaron Castillo on his program Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com at Pierce College in Los Angeles. Thanks to Aaron and Adrian for sharing that interview with us on WaveScan. The HFCC A21 Shortwave Frequency Coordination Conference concluded on February 15th. It took place virtually this time. We played part of the opening plenary session for you a few weeks ago on Wayscan. Jerry Plummer of WWCR and I took part in the HFCC meeting. and Here's part of the Skype conversation we had about it. Well, Jerry, you and I should be in... Uh Tunis right now in Tunisia, but uh, <laughs> it didn't happen, did it? Yeah. That's right. You know, we
4: should be. In fact, uh, I guess if we were going to be there, we might be one of the first to open or to stay in the brand-new
0: proposed hotel. I think it's about ready. That's right, the Asbu Hotel, the Arab States Broadcasting Union Hotel, which is right next to the Asbu headquarters in, in Tunis, uh, Tunisia. Have um, you seen pictures of it, Jeff? Um. I, I think maybe I saw pictures of the, what it was supposed to look like when last time we were there, but I'm, I haven't seen any recent pictures of what the uh, construction... Man, they, they tell me
4: it's
0: supposed to be an okay place to stay. Yeah. So, but anyway, we were... I guess we were
4: going to be one of the first groups to stay there if
0: we had been mm-hmm. able to pull this off. Well, we but, might still yeah. be. We might still be yeah. if next year's uh, conferences in Tunis. We might still be right, yeah. Uh, but, oh, uh, not many of uh, the
4: group of the HOCC group could have been there. Very few places you can you can fly out. Of very few countries I believe.
0: Yeah, that's that's a problem right now. Um, even with uh, testing, a lot of countries are uh, prohibited. You know, people prohibited from flying from their country, and then other people prohibited from entering places like Tunisia. So it's uh, very difficult if you have a group like ours. With uh, forty-some countries uh, participating, uh, oh, yeah. it's very very yeah. difficult to get people together. So what we and just the
4: steering board has has elected that uh, that virtually everyone should be able to attend before they agree to hold one. Yeah, uh, that that may be a rule that has to slightly relax as time goes on, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, uh, but right now nobody could have been literally. Yeah, so the only way to do it was virtually. <laughs> yes and this will be our second one
4: too uh the last uh one that we had to do virtual uh was was really sort of a attention getter for all of us
0: trying to figure out how to even uh, try to accomplish anything it was uh well let's say not as exciting as a uh, as an in person yeah. meeting because it uh, was not as efficient either no and we didn't have any opening plenary or closing plenary session live and I mean basically nothing was live uh people just communicated i guess via email mostly right?
4: well at that time that was about the best we could do we uh we hadn't developed enough uh knowledge about how to use or or what was available for a video type thing and uh, of course, this time around we we got a little bit better
0: because the opening plenary was uh was live Um uh, and the uh, closing plenary uh, will also be in a few other meetings, uh, a group of experts, as they call it, right. in the propagation uh, program lessons. Those the, uh, I believe they're doing those Oh, okay, Zoom. Okay. All right. I think. Uh, so, yeah. so we're using the, these uh, technologies to uh, to have a little bit more interaction uh, this time. Right. And the opening plenary was pretty good. We had, uh, what, 70 people almost uh, yeah. connected? Yeah. Uh, we had about as many people at the uh, opening point area as we would often have at a regular conference. Yes, uh, and, and, and they so were from everywhere. We had the the, uh, the Chinese we had, were there. We had the, time zones from, we had almost every time zone there is Yes. Uh, attending. Yeah, yeah, people from all over Asia, Malaysia, China, of course, uh, Tunisia, and then all over Europe, and uh, several of us in the United States as well. Jerry Plummer of WWCR and I were talking there about some items discussed at the HFCC A21 conference where shortwave frequency schedules are coordinated for the A21 broadcast season that begins on March 28th. Jerry and I will have a lot more to talk about on coming editions of Wavescan. A reminder that the Winter Shortwave Listeners Festival, or SWL Fest, takes place on February 26th and 27th using uh, the online zoom webinar webinar platform the winter swl Fest is a conference of radio hobbyists of all types from dc to daylight historically every year scores of hobbyists have descended on the philadelphia pennsylvania suburbs for a weekend of camaraderie the fest is sponsored by naswa The North American Shortwave Association, but it covers much more than just shortwave. It also covers medium wave scanning, satellite tv, pirate broadcasting. Those are some of the other topics uh, covered. Whether you've been to every one of the fests, all 33, or if this year's will be your first, you're sure to find a welcome from your fellow hobbyists, even if it's a virtual welcome this year. In 2021, the 34th annual Winter SWL Fest will be going virtual courtesy of the COVID-19 pandemic. All activities will be conducted online via the Zoom webinar platform. There will be no in-person activities, though they hope to return to uh, the regular format in 2022. Registration will cost $5 per computer screen to defray the Zoom hosting expenses. Paper registrations will, will not be processed for 2021. To get all the information, just go to swlfest.com. On the Internet, that's swlfest.com. And you'll see on there that one of the hours of the SWL Fest is going to be broadcast live on WRMI. So we hope you'll uh, tune in for that. A note here from A.J. Janacek of Radio Free Asia. He says... uh, Just a note of thanks to our listeners worldwide for their patience as we continue to respond to your reception reports as quickly as possible. Still, we know we've been uh, slower than usual, and just want to reassure you that Radio Free Asia continues to respond to all reception reports. We have a bit of a backlog, and we're confirming every reception report as time allows. Thanks again for your patience and understanding. Uh, A.J. Januszczyk there from Radio Free Asia. And what he says I think is true of many shortwave stations now, including us here at WRMI. There is always a, a backlog of uh, reports due to the pandemic. And the uh, part of the problem is that some countries are not accepting mail or not sending mail to other countries right now. And I know we have received uh, many QSL cards returned to us by the Postal Service saying, service has been suspended and hopefully it will be uh, unsuspended in the near future and we can resend those uh, qsl cards to uh, people okay let's go to Salahuddin
5: dollar now with his bangladesh
0: dx report
5: dear listeners and radio hobbyists, welcome you in the february edition of bangladesh dx report on this is salaudin dollar from the beautiful city Ratshahi bangladesh glad to be back and thanks for listening 21st February is the International Mother Language Day. We want to pay tribute those heroic sons who have sacrificed their lives to keep the dignity of their mother tongue in the world. Bangladesh DX report team will issue a special QSL card for the reception report of this month. Now the receiving log of different radio stations. February 2nd, Voice of America Oromo language program was heard at 1740 UTC on 9485 kHz. The ISI code was 433. Voice of Africa, al Aitahab English Talking Program was heard at 1750 UTC on 9505 kHz. The ISI code was 222. Radio Dengue Wallet, Isuda, Kurdish Program was heard at eighteen hundred zero five UTC on 9525 kHz. The ISIO code was 333. AISK World Radio, Radio Japan. Japanese program was heard at 1828 UTC on 9765 kHz. The SIO code was 343. February 3rd, Voice of Islamic Republic of Iran. Arabic program was heard at 1240 UTC on 9530 kHz. The ISIO code was 4. February 4th, Radio Romania International, Romanian language program was heard at 1737 UTC on 7370 kHz, the SIO code was 444. Ibra Radio in Silta language was heard at 1745 UTC on 7510 kHz, the SIO code was 343. Adventist World Radio via Nowen, Oromo Language Program was heard at 1750 UTC on 11870 kHz, the SI code was 343. Radio France International, French Program was heard at 1758 UTC on 11995 kHz, the SI code was 333. REE, Spain, Spanish program was heard at 1805 UTC on 12030 kHz. The SI code was 343. February 7th, Bangladesh Beta, External Service, Arabic language program was heard at 1610 UTC on 4750 kHz. The SI code was 343. Radio Taiwan International English program was heard at 1635 UTC on 6185 kHz the code was 322 Vatican Radio Amharic language program was heard at 1545 UTC on 11935 kHz the code was 333 We want to thanks Mr Pradip Chandra Kundu from Agurtala Tripura, India and Mr. Anand Mohan Bain from Sotrichgore, India for sharing their log with us. If you have any comments and suggestions and send your reception report and log to the following email address. The address is dxbangla at the rate at the rate gmail Okay, I will come with more DX news in the next edition. Till then, take care. Salahuddin Dollar, Ratshahi, Bangladesh.
0: Thank you very much, Salahuddin. Ray Conniff and his Brazilian music ends WaveScan today. Thanks very much for listening to WaveScan, the International DX Program from Adventist World Radio researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, an old mystery radio station on Chatham Island in the South Pacific. We'll have more from the recent HFCC A21 conference and our Australian DX report. Several QSL cards are available for Wayscan. Send your AWR and KSDA reports for the program to the AWR address in Thailand and also to the station your radio is tuned to. WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry wave scan. Remember too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is Q S L at AWR dot Well the postal address for AWR Q S L is Adventist World Radio PO box two three four Prakanong. That's P R A K A N O N G Bangkok one zero one one zero Thailand. That's Adventist World Radio. PO box two three four Prakanong, Bangkok. One zero one one zero, Thailand, and the email address for other correspondents to Wavescan besides reception reports is Wavescan at awr dot I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week. Good listening, everyone.